the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later you may eat and drink. Do you think the slave were doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And the assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As the great theologian, George Michael, once said, you got to have faith, faith, faith. Right? Yeah, of course you do. It's who we are. It's how we, it's how we exist as Christians. Right? you got to have faith. That's what defines us. That's what pulls us together as a congregation. It's a shared faith, a reality that we live out together. It's why I torture our confirmation students to come up and share statements of faith. They hate it. I love it. Why? Because they need to say their faith out loud from time to time. I'm a faith leader, apparently. You all pay me to lead this whole faith thing. And on the day of my ordination, before the bishop slapped the Holy Spirit into me, asked me this question. He said, will you give faithful witness to the world that God's love may be known in all you do? Sure, man, because if I don't, that was a waste of four years of seminary. Of course I'm going to say yes. I'll lead you in faith in all that I do. Do I get a job if I say yes? Right? Like faith is at the center of so much of our identity, even as a congregation, right? We have faith in God who created us. We, we have faith in Christ's love for that creation and for us. We have faith in the power and the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings to us each and every day of our lives. Here's the problem. The problem is, as I walk out of this space, right, out of this faith community, and as I look around in the world around me, I sometimes am a little bit challenged in my faith. I see what's going on, and it makes it difficult, right? Maybe it's, it's mass shootings, or maybe it's the rise of Christian nationalism. Maybe, maybe it's racism, or maybe it's natural disasters and hurricanes that rattle and shake my faith to the core. How, oh God, can you let these things happen? And I have these questions. At the same time, that Jesus is whispering into my ear, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree to go and throw itself into the ocean. To be honest, I've never seen things quite that miraculous outside of Lord of the Rings, and I'm told that's not real. And that's a problem, right? So the only logical conclusion I can come to then is I must be missing something. In this case, Perhaps the problem is I simply don't have enough faith. I don't even have faith the side of that little mustard seed, enough to do even the most basic of things. 
And that's why I joined the chorus. I joined the chorus of the apostles today who look to Jesus and say, Jesus, increase our faith because more is always better. And surely it has to be true for faith too. And these people are going through a bit of a faith crisis themselves. Remember, where we are in Luke's gospel, Jesus has set his sight toward Jerusalem. He's turned his face towards Jerusalem. And he's told his apostles, he's told them, look, I'm going to go there, and I am going to die there. Three days later, I'm going to raise again. But they turn their ears off the moment they heard he's going to die there. They don't even think about the resurrection stuff yet. And that's hard. So clearly, what's the solution? Sprinkle some more faith on it. Get that mustard bottle of faith out, just smother it in that, and you'll be good, right? Clearly, that'll solve the problem. Or not. But at least, I give him credit, at least today Jesus' followers understand that, that faith isn't theirs to own, but that faith itself is a gift, right? And so they're asking for Jesus to bestow upon them once more that gift of faith. The problem is, when they ask, they don't fully understand what they're asking for, right? Because faith is, is less about the quantity as it is about demonstrating it, right? Faith is less quantifiable as it is demonstrable. Right? And that's what Jesus, I think, is really working us towards. It's not that you guys have a low faithometer. It's that your faith isn't compelling you to do anything. And if it's not compelling you to move your bodies and serve other people, then it doesn't matter how much you have. It's not enough. And that, you see, is the key. In order for faith to function as the gift it is, we must be willing to share that gift with the world around us. It must be embodied. And only when it is embodied is there even a chance that miraculous things may start to happen. Embodiment of faith is what's going to happen in a few hours with the crop walk. People are going to literally embody their faith by walking to challenge the problem of world hunger in this creation. Now, do I expect world hunger to be eradicated because a group of people in Lombard and Villa Park got together and walked? No. But that shouldn't stop us from doing the work. It shouldn't stop us from stepping out literally in our faith to try to be a change for good in the world, to raise money for people who need access to healthy or just any food of any kind. It's not likely going to miraculously solve the problem, but faith compels us to step out and face those problems. Even the tiniest bit of faith aspires to amazing things, but at the same time has to be willing to kneel and to serve, which then is our jump into the second parable today, a parable about the servant, or perhaps, to say it the way Jesus puts it, the slave. And it ends with this question, this question of, do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded of them? It's a poignant question for the apostles. It's a poignant question for us modern-day apostles to wrestle with. Do you expect to be thanked for doing what it is that God has commanded you to do? And the answer is no. But living out our faith is living out God's commands to love and to care for one another in the creation that God made. And here's a secret from a faith professional. This work of faith can be a thankless job. It really can be. 
But that's okay. You don't need to be thanked. Why? Because God has already given us all that we need, all that we could possibly want in this world. We don't serve God to earn God's love and favor. We serve God because God's grace, mercy, and love has freed us to share that gift with the world. And look, I'm not terribly motivated by Jesus today when he refers to the apostles and again us as, let me get this right, yeah, worthless slaves. It's not making me jump out of bed in the morning and putting on my faith shoes and going to work. No. But I think it's important we understand the context. Jesus isn't recommending a, a social order at all times with slaves and masters, but he's making the point that a Christian attitude is one of dutiful service at all times, in all places, responding to the commands to love constantly, serving again a God who owes us nothing because God has given us all things. So then, I've been left pondering, who are these faithful people? Who are they in our lives? And I bet if you take just a moment, you can probably come up with some names of people who served faithfully, whose lives were witness to their faith. I know I see it in myself. I think back to my grandfather. We called him Pa. We were very creative in our names. And Pa was this faithful individual. And Pa served in World War II on the front lines. He saw quite a bit of combat action. And he had to have faith surrounded by death. And you want to know why especially? The guy was six foot eight. Do you know how deep you got to dig a foxhole to hide a six foot eight man? The guy wore stilts every day, for gosh sakes. And my mom likes to tell us that, that his, his officer would come back. And when he'd come back from an engagement, he was still alive. He'd look him up and down and go, Schnur, you're still here? He's a big target. Hard to miss the guy. But each and every day, he found faith. And when he found out that I wanted to go to seminary, and this was in the last years of his life, he never got to see me ordained or as a pastor. But he would pull me aside, and we would talk about that reality. And he would tell me how proud he was because his faith was so important to him in the most difficult moments of his life. And he was so thrilled to know that that would live on in his family. That for whatever reason, I was going to try to share that faith myself with other people. And it made him endlessly joyful to know that that was going to happen. That's embodied faith. A person risking their life to do what they think is right, even if it costs their own. Here's the other thing. I've been pastor here over five years. Believe it or not, you're halfway faithful here. Believe it or not, right? No. You're all wonderfully faithful people. And I've had the honor and the privilege of laying to rest many faithful saints here at St. Paul. I've been here about five years. And I've lost track of how many funerals I've presided over. But I want you to know right now, the number is a lot. Like, a lot. Alice works in the office. She has to log them. It is a full-time job. But I think back to those people. Maybe they were your own loved ones. Maybe it was a spouse. 
Maybe it was your own grandfather. Maybe it was a close friend or someone you knew from this church. These are faithful people. And each and every one of them, as we prepare to lay them to rest right in this space, this is where they are laid to rest, right here, whether it be our casket with the pall draped over it or an urn, or maybe nothing but their memories and presence. I always say these words. God, we humbly beseech you to accept into your arms this faithful servant sinner of your own redeeming and a sheep of your own flock. The last words that I say over the deceased are words that remind us that they were faithful servants in this life. Because when this life comes to an end, that is the gift we leave behind. It is faithfulness a gift that transcends time, that passes on from generation to generation. It's the gift that connects us together as the body of Christ. And faith is the legacy we share. And so, dear people of God, share that gift because any amount is more than enough. And the world tastes way better with mustard on it. So thanks be to God. Amen.